You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Please follow along with me as we begin in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now let's just take a moment and pray before I begin to preach. Father, we come to you this evening and we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the scriptures, Lord God, because this is one of the primary ways by which you speak to us, by which you reveal your desires for us, by which you... Reveal yourself to us, most importantly. Lord, help our hearts to be open. Help our ears to be open. Help our eyes to be open. Help us to be open to what you would say to us this evening in regards to what it looks like to continue praying. Lord, give us a heart and give us a hunger for you. Give us a hunger to hear from you and give us a hunger to be close to you. Give us a hunger to commune with you. But I know that each of us comes in here and gathers together with other people in this place and in this space at this time with varying levels and different degrees of life circumstances happening in this moment. Lord, I know that there are some who are here in the room. They come and we come with, with heavy burdens, with heavy things happening in our lives. And we, we need you. We need you to speak to us. We need you to reveal yourself to us. And we need to hear from you. Our hearts need to be encouraged by you. Our minds need to be challenged by you. And our lives need to be affected eternally by you. Or there are others of us who come here and we're just skeptical. We're not sure that what your word says is really true. We're not sure if we trust this whole idea of church family. We're new to this space and place. And yet something seems to be drawing us here. And so we ask you, Lord God, for whoever we are in this place and in this time, Lord God, that you would open our hearts and open our minds, open our eyes to you. Help us to hear you. Help us to desire you and help us to see you. We pray those things, trusting that you'll do it. Use this text to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. So prayer can be really hard. Prayer can be really hard. It can be very difficult. In fact, here's what I would argue. I would argue that when it comes to prayer, we should be persistently and consistently 
pursuing Jesus, pursuing the Lord, pursuing our Father in prayer. We should be doing this persistently, consistently, continually. I would use those words to describe what it looks like for us to commune with our Father in heaven through prayer. But the problem for all of us is that praying can sometimes be really difficult. One of my favorite theologians, J.C. Ryle, who had a thick, manly, godly-looking beard, said this, it is far more easy to begin a habit of prayer than to keep it up. Thousands take up the habit of praying for a little season after some special mercy or special affliction. And then little by little, they become cold about it, and at last they lay it aside. And so J.C. Ryle would agree with this statement that prayer is super difficult. It's really hard. It's hard to continue praying consistently and persistently with gusto. You might write that word down, gusto, this evening would be another catchphrase for persistence, with energy, with commitment. This is hard work. But why is it so hard for us to pray? What are some of the reasons? It's easy for us to say, man, that's hard. This is a hard job. Like it's hard to go out on Sundays and cut firewood. But what is hard about that job, right? We need to get down to the nitty gritty and the baseline of what's hard. We all understand that marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. We understand that working a full-time job or a part-time job is hard. Going to school is hard. There's many hard things that we must do as we live life. And what we do is we tend to try to take apart the reasons why something is hard. And then we try to attack those reasons that are hard. Try to understand the hardship in something so that we can better pursue and be more consistent, more committed to the thing which we sense we are called to. So when it comes to prayer, prayer being hard, we got to ask the questions, why is prayer hard? And sometimes I just think that when we pray, we oftentimes wonder if God will even hear us. It's one of the things that makes prayer hard. As we come to him, God, are you really listening? Are you really there? Are you really going to hear what we bring to you in prayer? We wonder sometimes if God really cares. Like, does God really care about this issue I'm bringing before him? Certainly and surely there must be bigger issues in the world for God to deal with. I'm thinking about this this weekend as I get up and I read some of the NPR updates on my phone. And I hear that somehow or another we in America and our military forces uh, accidentally bombed a doctor's um, medical hospital over in Afghanistan near a city and killed a number of doctors as well as patients that are there because we're going after terrorists and we missed it. And so sometimes when I go to prayer, I begin to think, man, there's much bigger things happening in the world that you're more concerned about than little old me. So sometimes I think that maybe is a part of what makes praying really hard. Sometimes I think too that we just struggle to believe whether God will actually answer us or not. Now, I know that this is where many of us in this room land at times. Times that we pray for something, wishing and praying and desiring that God would answer a prayer in a certain way. And then God doesn't answer it in the way that we expected him to. And so then we begin to wonder, are you really going to answer the prayer that I pray? Are you really going to give me what I'm asking for? Sometimes we wonder if 
God will really answer us. Sometimes we just struggle with the answers that God gives us, don't we? Sometimes don't we have an issue with the answer that God gives us and we say, that wasn't the answer I was looking for, therefore I'm no longer going to come to you and pray or ask because the answer I got wasn't what I wanted and now I'm ticked at you, God, so I'm going to try the passive silent treatment and just stay away from you. I mean, we, most of us probably wouldn't want to admit that, right? But don't we do that? I mean, you don't have to nod your head because I don't want any of you to give away your guilt on this one because I'm guilty too. I'll nod my head for all of us. Like we do that sometimes, right? We do that sometimes. I think we get distracted. We get lazy. Struggle to trust in God's promises. When God makes a promise in the scriptures, we struggle to trust whether that is actually true for you and I and whether God will actually come through or not. But this is the reason for the second half of Jesus' teaching on prayer. This is the reason that we need this text today. It's the reason we need this text today. In the first four verses of chapter 11, as we studied last week, Jesus teaches us that we should relate to God vertically and horizontally. In other words, we should relate to God vertically as we ask him to establish his kingdom in our midst. While relating to him as our father. This is a revolutionary moment when when Jesus says, come to God and say, father. To relate to God as father is a revolutionary statement to make, especially for the Jews. But for us, it's difficult because we have daddy issues. Most of us have daddy issues one way or the other. And so Jesus says that we should pray vertically in terms of saying, our father... Please establish your kingdom here. And then we would relate to him horizontally as we bring to him our needs, our requests for physical provision, as well as spiritual renewal. We need God to revive and renew and and wake up our dead hearts because our hearts go through these processes weekly of falling asleep at the wheel and needing to be woken back up so that we would see the, the grandeur and the glory and the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy and the loving kindness and the patience of our Father in heaven. We need to see those things and what happens is we get distracted from those things and we, we see everything about life that is right in front of us and we we begin to focus on those things and we miss all those other things about God and so as we pray horizontally we begin to ask God God please renew us spiritually wake up that dead heart within me breathe life into those spaces and places of my heart that once were living but now seem dead this is what it means to pray vertically horizontally And now in this second half of Jesus' teaching on prayer for this week, he teaches us in verses 5 through 13 that we should never give up. That when it comes to prayer, this is something so important that we should never give up on praying. The Apostle Paul would say it this way. He would say that we should pray continually. That we should pray consistently. That we should pray at all times. We should pray at all times in the Spirit. This is the way the Apostle Paul speaks of it throughout the gospel, throughout the epistles later in the New Testament. Jesus teaches the same principle. We should never give up. 
We should never give up on praying vertically and horizontally. We should never give up on coming before our Father in heaven, bringing to Him our needs and our desires and asking Him to do a work in us. We should never stop being persistent and consistent in pursuing our Father in prayer. Why? Why? One of the best reasons why is when you catch a glimpse and a picture of the cross of Christ. And I'm not just talking about a, a cross that you hang on your rearview mirror, a cross that you have on a t-shirt, or a cross that you got tattooed on your arm. I'm talking about the cross of Christ. When you and I get a picture of what the cross of Christ really means, and we actually get that picture riveted into our minds, the blood and the horror of the cross that happened for you and I, the way that we see Jesus pursuing us relentlessly, persistently, consistently, without fail. When we catch that picture of who Jesus is and what he has done, it will motivate us to persistently pursue our Father in heaven through prayer. What does it mean? What does it mean to never give up? Look at verses 5 through 8. And in verses 5 through 8, Jesus describes what it means to never give up by asking a rhetorical question. Jesus loves to ask rhetorical questions. And he asks this question, he says, does anyone here have a true friend? Does anyone here have a true friend who won't at least eventually give in and provide for a need if you persist in asking? This is the question that is embedded deeply in the story that Jesus tells. Think about this for a minute. How many of us have friends that we can call in the middle of the night? How many of us truly have friends that we can call on in the middle of the night for help? How, how uncomfortable is it for us to make that phone call in the middle of the night? How many of us are willing to possibly risk the loss of relationship to make a phone call in the middle of the night if we had a need? How uncomfortable is that? Just think about it just for a minute. Three o'clock in the morning, you wake up, you realize you have a need, you need to call somebody. Don't you think at least twice before you make that phone call? you're concerned that even if this is a great relationship, you begin to get a little bit concerned that you may be taking that relationship and putting it up on the chopping block by making that phone call, right? There's those thoughts that go through your head. This is what it means. This is what it means when Jesus basically teaches us and instructs us in this text to never give up. It means being persistent even when it appears that your request is too big or when it's being made at the most inopportune time. It's to persist even through those moments when you wonder and when you question, man, is, is this request too big for Jesus? Like, should I really be pushing the envelope this far? And Jesus' story, this friend who is being called upon for help does what many of us do, right? He begins to make excuses. How many of you have made excuses when somebody calls you and asks for help? Like you get that phone call, even in mid-afternoon, hey, I need your help. And you begin going through your mental checklist of these are the reasons why you cannot help your friend. And here's what happens. We begin to project the way that we live, react, respond, and live on God. 
The problem is, is that we think a lot of times that God is just like us. And so we begin to project the way that we think, feel, behave, and act on Him. We begin to think He's going to act just like we do, think just like we do, feel just like we do. Therefore, we relate to Him the way that we would relate to others. But what we fail to forget is that man, God's not sinful like us. So we begin to make excuses, much like this guy in the text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is really crucial. After the friend comes to the friend and says, Hey, I need your help. i got a buddy that's coming. I need some food for my house. The friend that's inside the house who hasn't opened the door yet who says this. Catch these excuses. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Right? In other words, I don't want to be bothered. My door is locked. I've already closed it. It's going to be a hindrance for me. It's going to be an issue for me to get up and open my door. Do you understand how much energy and resource I'm going to have to expend to get up and open my door? This is what this dude is saying. Oh, and if that's not enough, by the way, my kids are in bed with me. If I get out of bed, I might wake my kids up. I'm not getting up to help you. Haven't we all gotten excuses and responses like this when we've called and asked for help? And if we're to be honest, haven't we all? done the same thing to others. Verse 8 is the kicker. Look back at verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus says this, says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, and because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because of the man outside the door and his persistence, the man on the inside of the house gives in. And so what Jesus is teaching here is this. He's teaching that even though prayer is hard, we should never give up. We should never give up. And what that means is that we should pray persistently. We should pray with impudence. We should pray consistently. We should pray with boldness. Imagine the amount of boldness that it takes to walk up to your buddy's house in the middle of the night and knock on the door and be like, dude, I don't give a rip if your kids are in bed with you. I don't really care that you just locked the door. Doesn't really bother me that you just got in bed. Doesn't really bother me that you just gave me three or four excuses. I'm asking you to get out of bed and give me what I need. That's the type of boldness and persistence that Jesus is explaining to us that we should approach and pursue our Father in prayer. So never giving up means praying persistently. What does it look like though? What does it look like to pray persistently? I mean, it makes sense that prayer is hard stuff. It makes sense that we should never give up. These things categorically in our minds, philosophically, theologically, they make sense that we should never give up and that this is also very difficult. What does it actually look like according to the text? Not, not according to what your life or my life has looked like. What does Jesus say in the text? How does he answer that kind of question? Well, in verses 9 through 10, Jesus unpacks three very simple, tangible, and visible actions for praying persistently. And those three very simple, tangible, boots on the ground type of actions or activity then lead to some very simple outcomes. Look at verses 9 and 10 and read it with me. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be given open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In other words, asking equals receiving, seeking equals finding, and knocking equals opening. So praying persistently means asking and receiving. And I love it when one of my kids come up to me and they ask me for something, especially when they ask me for something that I can actually give them. 
but it's within my willpower and my ability to actually produce and give to them. I love giving them what they ask for. Why? Because it's like an outflow of my love for them. It's part of my relational connection to my children when they come and ask for something. It's to be able to give them what they're asking for as long as it's within my ability to give. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. He loves to see us receive from Him. He loves to have us come to Him. He loves to have us come and ask so that He can then give us what we are asking for. He loves to give us physical provision and spiritual renewal. He loves to give us the things that we need. He loves to change our heart. These are things that are very near and dear and close to God's heart. How are you doing in this area? What does this look like for you? And are you asking God to give you financial and monetary provision, wisdom, understanding, insight, knowledge, protection? What about character? You ask for God to give you godly character. What does that look like when he answers that prayer? Have you asked him recently to give you the character of Christ so that you may behave and think and live like him? What about salvation? Have you asked him to save you? Have you trusted him to save you? Have you trusted in the message of the gospel? Have you prayed and asked that he would do the same thing in your life and through your life for people that you know and love? You asked him to save those that are around you. Have you come to him boldly and persistently? Have you asked? Because everyone who asks receives. So praying persistently means asking and receiving, but it also means seeking and finding. Seeking and finding. Many of you ever watched those movies, uh, National Treasure? If you've seen those movies and you understand the concept that they're on a treasure hunt, right? Looking for some pretty highly treasured, highly valuable things. Begs the question for us, what is it that you're seeking? What is the treasure of your heart? What's the treasure of your life? What is the treasure that's captured your attention? Is it God? Is it the Father? Are you pursuing him through prayer? Are you seeking Jesus? Are you persistently seeking the rule and reign of King Jesus in your heart and life? Is this where you're at? Could that be said of you? Are you praying like other people's lives depend on it? Are you so burdened with the need of the gospel to go forth in our community that you actually get your head out of the sand of your own life and you actually spend like 15 minutes a week, about 15 minutes a day, praying and asking for God to do miraculous things in our community. And these are prayers that touch the heart of God. And are you seeking Him so that He might do work here? So praying persistently means asking and receiving as well as seeking and finding, but it also means a third thing, knocking and opening. So you got asking, seeking, and knocking, right? Ever needed a door to open for you? Ever needed a job? Ever needed physical healing or financial provision? Ever looking for direction in a relationship? Searching for understanding in the midst of a dilemma? Wondering what the next step is the right step? In this opening story, Jesus shared that the man in need went to a friend who could provide in the middle of the night. And because of his persistent asking, seeking, and knocking, the door of provision opened wide. And sometimes the reality is that we don't receive because we don't ask. We don't find because we don't seek. 
We don't find open doors because we don't knock. The person who says that God doesn't give isn't asking or seeking or knocking. What do you ask for when you pray? Let me think about this for a minute. When you pray, what do you ask for? You might say, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking. Everything always seems to end in disaster. It doesn't go my way. I don't get what I want. The question I would ask you is this. Are you asking for godly things? Are you seeking God's kingdom or your own? Are you knocking on the doors of heaven? Or are you just fixating on the doors of worldly possessions, worldly gain, and worldly achievements? And when Jesus says that praying persistently means asking, seeking, and knocking, he is saying this in the context of relational communication with our Father in heaven. As his children, as his kids, this is a conversation between daddy and children. All too often we have a tendency to treat him like the fairy godmother or like Santa Claus. The reality is that God is the king of the kingdom. The king of the kingdom, and he is establishing that through his son, by the power of the gospel, through the power of the spirit in our midst. All of our earthly needs, all of our earthly worries, our earthly desires, they all must be subject or surrendered or submitted to the rule and the reign of the king of the kingdom. In other words, just because we pray for God to give us health, wealth, and prosperity doesn't mean that we will get what we ask for right here, right now. Because honestly, God is far more concerned with establishing his rule in our hearts and in our lives Sometimes that means that he may withhold something on the, on the physical end to continue moving us to relating to him spiritually through prayer. God is far more concerned about doing things deep down inside of our lives and our hearts and our minds spiritually than he is with our physical well-beings. And if you don't believe that, I would, I would encourage you to test like what I'm saying to you. Go back and read the scriptures. And read of the many saints who died horrible deaths while praying that God would release them. There are some fantastic stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were released from the fiery furnace. But you'll have to notice in Daniel chapter 3 when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before King Nebuchadnezzar that when the king says, hey, if you don't bow to the golden image in front of you, I'm going to throw you in this fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, hey, that's fine. Our God can save us. And we trust in him and bow to no one but him. But even if he doesn't save us in this moment, we'll still never bow to those idols that you place in front of us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were released miraculously for that. But then you turn to the book of Hebrews and you start reading stories upon stories of saints who were murdered badly. We see this in the news today. We've seen this throughout the centuries. The believers can be persecuted in the midst of praying, God, please protect us and save us. Does that mean that there is no God? Does that mean that he doesn't care? Does that mean that somehow he's forgotten? Does that mean that he has more important things to do? No. It means that his purposes, his plans are higher than ours. We don't understand everything. It's the same as when it comes to this principle of praying. 
oftentimes what God does is sometimes withhold those physical things that we're praying for so that he can drive us into a deeper relationship with him spiritually. Another way of explaining this would be to say that sometimes God withholds physical provision to promote spiritual growth. And the Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. If you've never read the book of Philippians, I think Ryan, you and I were talking about Philippians this week. If you've never read the book of Philippians, I, mean, I just really encourage you to read the book of Philippians. But before you head into the, the book of Philippians and you read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, I want you to remember this is, this is, a, church that, this is a church that Paul planted. Paul planted the church in Philippi. Now he's writing a letter to the Philippian church years later. But he's writing it from prison. And here's the problem. When you hear prison, you and I, we hear 10 by 10 cell with a bed and with a toilet and your own running sink. But there's a huge difference between the cells that you and I see today and the cell that Paul was sitting in when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Most likely for the Apostle Paul, a prison jail cell for him meant a hole in the ground with a grate on top that he's inside of, much like a, a small cave. And there's all sorts of fluids and dirt flowing in and out of there on top of the elements. It's cold, possibly. So that's the place he's writing from as he writes what I'm about to read to you. And he's writing it to a church of people that he spent time with. Many of you have spent time in gospel communities this last couple of weeks as we've kicked those off. And you imagine that setting would have been very similar to the very first reading of what Paul's about ready to say to us in regards to physical provision and spiritual growth, right? I want you to put yourself in that context. You're on my back patio. One of our leaders who helped to plant our church is now in prison, not because he did anything wrong, not because somebody made a mistake. He's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. Okay? Now that you're in that place, hear this. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of placing, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So God is far more concerned. God is far more concerned with spiritually reviving our hearts. To the extent that we walk with obedient trust in his merciful and gracious and loving kindness. His kingdom rule. God is far more concerned with our spiritual renewal. So pray persistently. Pray persistently by asking God to establish himself in you. Seeking God's kingdom above all other things. And knocking on the doors of heaven so that your spirit would continuously be renewed in the presence of Christ. And this brings me to our final question. Final question is this. What is the key to persistently asking, seeking, and knocking? What's the key? So we've learned that we should never give up on praying. We've learned that we should be persistent in prayer. We've learned that to be persistent in prayer must mean that we continually ask, seek, and knock. But what is the key to persistently asking, seeking, and knocking? 
Verses 11 through 13, Jesus uses this analogy of fatherhood to give us the key to praying persistently when he says in verse 13, listen, he says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, he's drawing this contrast between fatherhood. He's painting this picture that, hey, if any of you dads, if your kids come to you and they ask you for something good, how many of you would give them something bad in return for the good thing they asked for? And the answer is really rhetorical. The the question is rhetorical rhetorical because it's meant to elicit the same answer. Like, I would not give my kids something bad when they ask for something good. Never. And Jesus is like, great. You who are evil can do some of those good things. Now think of how how much more good our Father in heaven is. So this is the key to praying persistently. It's trusting in our Father in heaven who is good. Notice the bookends of this library. Think of it this way as you look at this text. Think of it as a library on prayer that gives you all these different nuances and answers to questions about being a praying people or being a praying person. And think of the bookends on the ends of the library holding your commentaries set together on the shelf. The first bookend, say, Father, in verse 1, right? Jesus starts there. Say, Father. And then in the end of the text in verse 13, look at it. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The key to persistent prayer is approaching God as our Father who is better than any earthly father. But again, we have a tendency to project our own failures in fatherhood or motherhood. We tend to project our experiences of our father's failing in fatherhood. We, we take that, we project that on our father in heaven and we begin to think that he must be just like us. And so then we give up. And what happens is we come into just a shallow place of relationship with our father in heaven when really our relationship with our father in heaven is meant to be so deep. And the way was paved The price was paid so that you and I can come into his presence. At the cross, as Jesus hung there, he said, it is finished. And in that moment, there was a veil in the temple that separated us physically, so to speak. It separated us from the presence of God. Behind that veil, behind that curtain was the presence of God that the priests would go into after going through this huge cleansing ceremony. So when Jesus died and he says, it is finished, that, that veil, that curtain, this enormous curtain was torn in half by the Spirit of God. Signifying that from that point forward, every one of us can walk into the presence of our Father in heaven. I mentioned this in the sermon last week, and I just want to mention it again. I just feel like we need to. And there are many of you in this room that you are afraid to be in the presence of your Father in heaven. You're afraid to be in His presence because of the places you've been, the things you've done, the things you might possibly do tomorrow. You're ashamed to be in His presence and you don't trust His goodness and you don't trust His 
graciousness. And you don't trust his loving kindness. You talk about it, but you don't understand it. And my hope and my prayer all week long has been, God, please help us to understand you as our father. Help us to see you as loving beyond measure. Help us to experience you, Father God, as graciousness beyond compare. Help us to catch a glimpse of your your mercy, the depths and the widths and and the heights of your mercy and your love in ways that shatter us and rock us to the core. That's what I want for all of us more than anything. Jesus says that trusting our Heavenly Father is the key to persistently asking, seeking, and knocking. So the only question that really remains is have you trusted in Him? Have you trusted in God as your Father, your good and gracious Father? Though you don't have every question answered, you don't have every T crossed, you don't have every I dotted. Can you see Him as your good and loving Father in Heaven? He's he's given everything for you. You and I were born into a world that was a wreck and a mess. We were born into physical families on this earth that were a wreck and a mess. We were born into that mess because this world is kind of a mess around us. There's awesome and beautiful and great things in this world, but the reality is that the undertow of everything is that it's a mess. We're born into that. And by default of that mess we were born into, we became a mess as well. And because of our messiness, we cannot approach and come into the presence of the Father. We've got that one thing right. We cannot come into his presence merely because he loves us and he calls us children. The only way that we get to come into his presence is is because he loves us and he calls us children because of the cross. When you and I catch a picture of the horrific nature and the gracious nature and the merciful nature and the generous nature and the good nature of the cross. And we catch that glimpse and that becomes the sole focus of our minds and that we fight to be brought back to that focus of the cross. And that as we begin to view life through the lens of the cross, we begin to see God. We begin to see God, our Father, Not being like you and I, not being like our fathers here on earth, not being like the mess that we have here, but instead being so good and generous and gracious that he gave his son so that then by our faith and our trust, which by the way, is actually written by our father in heaven. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wrote your faith and he perfects it too, which means there's no amount of gusto that you and I can muster up to trust in God. If you're in a place today and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never trusted in God as your Father, and my hope and my prayer is that God would give you the gusto to do so, so that you could legitimately come into His presence and commune with Him in prayer. Trusting our Heavenly Father is the key to never giving up and persistently asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer. I'm going to invite our musicians to come forward as we conclude our time together this evening. As we conclude our time together in the scriptures, uh, I want to give you an invitation here in a few moments to come forward for communion. love to see all of us participating in communion as the Lord leads you. I know that there are some of you here that 
you're still wrestling. You're still in that place where you're like, not sure. I'm just not, not sure I can trust Jesus yet. I believe some things, learning some things, changing some things maybe. I'm happy to be here, but I just don't know that I trust Jesus yet. I've not made him the Lord of my life. I've not surrendered to him. I've not said, Jesus, you are my king. Not been moved to that place yet where you have understood the good news of the gospel. Maybe, maybe as you hear messages like these and as you approach the scriptures, you're still hearing through the lens of some bad news. And so there's still something that is impeding you getting there yet. And I just have to tell you that I, mean, I just trust the Lord in that. Like, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. But here's what I don't want. I don't want for you to engage in a communion meal that means nothing to you. I don't want you to engage in something that holds no significance for you. I want you to engage in that when it means something. I want you to engage in that when, when what is before you, when you're thinking of communion, when you're thinking of the shed blood of Jesus that was poured out for you, when you're thinking of the broken body of Christ that was broken horrifically for you, that when you see that picture, you are like broken to the core, that you realize your wretchedness, your hopelessness, and your sinfulness before a Father in heavens who was so generous before you ever had the opportunity to be so wretched and hopeless. That when you catch that picture and you say, you know what, as of this day forward, I am now a Christ follower. I'm following Jesus. I'm sold out for him. I ain't perfect, but I'm progressing. When you get there, that, that's when we want you to come. But then there are some of you that are here that and this message of the gospel, this is, you're clinging to this with every ounce of energy that you have. You're saying, I've got nothing. I bring nothing to the table except for this broken mess of sin. And I need Christ. I need his blood to wash over my life and wash me white as snow. I need the sustenance of his broken body to continue to make me whole. My marriage is a wreck. And my thought life is a wreck. I can't sleep at night. My schedule's a mess. But this much I know. I am clinging to the broken body of my Savior at the cross. That's you then here in a moment. We, we want you to partake in this meal. Why? It's an opportunity to remember. It's an opportunity to remember the work that Jesus has done for you and I. It's a refresher. But it's also a connecting point to what it means to be a deep relational communion with our Father in Heaven. Again, I want you to think about the persistence of Jesus. The persistence of Jesus in this text in Luke, as he is turning his face towards Jerusalem, he's headed to Jerusalem to die brutally, and he knows it, and he knows it. That's where he's headed. He did that for you and I. He didn't run from it. He didn't shirk the responsibility. He said, I know why I came. I came to persistently pursue the salvation of those who once were like lost sheep outside the pen. I came to give my life as a ransom to pay the penalty of their sin. 
I came so that they might have life and have life more abundantly. That's why I came. So as you come here in a moment, you think of what it means to pursue our Father who pursued us first. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to know and believe continually, continuously, and persistently that Jesus is your Savior. to be placing our trust in God as our Father and coming to Him as our good Father without giving up but instead persisting and persistently asking, seeking, and knocking trusting God to give generously from His overflowing bank of grace. Now let's pray as we conclude our time together. Father, thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word together tonight. as we engage in communion this morning or this evening pray God that you would continue to paint a picture of your cross in front of each of us Lord if there are some here who came in here not knowing you pray God that you would save them in these moments and they would come to know you pray God that you would speak to them in the midst of all the other voices of this world in the midst of all the voices of distraction in the midst of all the voices of hardship I pray that you would speak to them. I pray the same for all of us. I pray, God, that you would speak to all of us. Despite the distractions, despite our inadequacies, despite our sin, I pray that you would speak to us. Draw us near to you. Paint a picture of the cross in front of each of us. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks for letting me preach tonight. I love you guys. There's going to be two people near the front to serve communion. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.